This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Good evening and welcome to AHA, a surprise video edition of the Christian Underground News Network. I'm your host, Kurt Chamberlain along with your co-host, Pastor Dick Chamberlain. And um, as you can see, we have a special guest tonight, a personal family friend and brilliant Christian author by the name of Lucas Doremus. Uh, we are really pleased to have him with us uh, this evening. He's written a series of three Christian books on different subjects. Um, one is on Job. Uh, there's one on Proverbs, if I'm correct. No, no. Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. That's, That's right. right. Ecclesiastes. And uh, one on Matthew, I think. No. Parables. Well, it's parables in Matthew, I believe. Whatever. I, he'll, he'll let me know if I'm correct or not. Yeah, but, okay. but uh, and we're going to discuss one of those books tonight. Uh, and uh, the one I think we've, we've chosen to discuss is one of pretty keen interest to me. Um, I read a portion of the book, Lucas, and man, oh man, it's great stuff. Now, I'm going to pass this to Pastor Dick in a little bit here, and he's read the whole thing. I know that, um, but the reason I'm kind of keen to talk about this tonight, and we're really glad to have you on, is that this is kind of some subject matter that not uh, people know it's there, but a lot of them really truly don't understand what parables are and and what they uh, why they are so significant um, and uh, you, the way you go in depth on this in, in this book is is fantastic uh, helped me understand a few a few things about parables a little bit better so with that being said welcome aboard and uh, uh, we're going to get started uh, why don't you give us a brief introduction as to what made you decide to write the book to begin with? Sure. The book is called A Lamp on a Lampstand. Uh, that is actually one of the parables that Jesus tells. And actually, the, the reason I wrote the book is because we do a home church uh, where I teach. And one of the uh, gals in the study asked about Luke 16 and the uh, rich man and Lazarus. Yeah, if it's Luke, is, is that Luke 17? Sorry, I think it's Luke 17. Yeah. Okay, sorry, chapter off. <laughs> and she she was asking whether it was a parable or not. Yeah. And so we went into it, and and for the audience, that is not a parable. No. Um, but but we went into uh, why it wasn't a parable, and that kind of got me interested in what is a parable. Yeah. And then uh, got interested in enough and did enough study on it that I that I just decided, hey, I got a lot of material. Why, why don't I just write it down? Right. And then and then Pastor Dick is quite good at encouraging you to get published and write it down. So that's how it uh, happened. Yes, he is. How many times did he kick you in the seat of the pants? That's all I want to know. Uh, I don't know. Let, let, let me check how big the bruises are and then I'll be able to <laughs> tell have you. They, have they disappeared yet? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, I know about his his form of encouragement every now and then. But you're right; he is he is good at, at encouragement. Um, he, he's he's got a spiritual gift there, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Well, good. Uh, listen, I'm going to pass this to Pastor Dick because uh, I know you guys have discussed this many times. Uh, even during the course of writing this book, I think you've discussed it with him a couple of times, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, take us through and and let us know a little bit more about what parables actually are, uh, why Jesus used them, why they're significant, and and maybe take us into a little deeper meaning on on certain parables. I'm sure you probably got one or two picked out. Uh, and with that, I'm passing you over to Pastor Dick, okay? All righty. Um, well, and we probably actually, um, by my count, there are about 57 parables. So we actually probably won't get to any of them today because there's a lot of background. Uh, okay. Again, the, the name of the book is A Lamp on a Lampstand. And when we eventually get to that parable, I'll kind of explain why. But that probably won't be today, uh, why I titled the book that. But the subtitle is A Study of the Parables of Jesus. So a study, you know, that's just where you try to understand it. But then there's two other keywords in here, parables and Jesus. Uh, we'll spend plenty of time on the parables, but Jesus, that's a, that's a big topic, right? Uh, right. Who, who is Jesus? Um, you know, there, you'll, you'll see that on billboards sometimes. Who is? Or Jesus is. And uh, Jesus is not anything we make him. Uh, he's most importantly, he's God, you know, he's God in human flesh. He's our savior. He's our redeemer. He's the king. Uh, he is, he, he is lots of things, but for this study, we are going to focus in on him being a teacher uh, because he was the greatest teacher that ever walked the face of the earth. And so, uh, I, I've, I've looked into, you know, you study Jesus just as a teacher, just from that aspect. And it was really amazing all the things he did. Um, I taught for six years uh, in a school, middle school and high school. Uh, Pastor, I know you taught uh, for at a Christian school also. Um, and so, you know, you know that there's there's different ways to teach with different numbers of people. You can there, you use different methods when you're teaching one verse person versus two or three versus about 10 versus about 50 and up. Uh, Jesus was a master at all those. And you can see the different ways he teaches at the individual level and the group level, uh, how he interacted with the audience. Uh, sometimes he would have a, just a really long discourse, uh, that <laughs> what we might call a lecture. Uh, that would be like the Sermon on the Mount. He's just discoursing, he's lecturing, and he's going through lots of topics and doing that. Uh, sometimes he would question whoever was doing that. Uh, we see that in the rich young ruler. You know, he would, uh, the rich young ruler, ruler came to him with a question and Jesus answered him with a question. Uh, you know, sometimes we hate that when you answer a question with a question, but Jesus always knew the right time because he, he knew that if I answer with a question, that'll make the person think. Uh, what, what a brilliant teaching tool. Uh, sometimes he was very commanding. Uh, I call this commanding uh, to be gentle. Uh, but uh, if you read Matthew 23, uh, that is the woe to the Pharisees chapter. And uh, he's, he's not real nice <laughs> in that chapter, but he's also definitely very instructive <laughs> on who the Pharisees are and, and what they're doing and why they're doing it and all those things. 
Uh, so Jesus, he just a brilliant teacher. Uh, he also had lots of methods of teaching. Uh, one thing teachers do, um, they're very repetitive. And that, that to me, that, that's not an insult in any way. Uh, Dick, there are some things that you have said that I can, I almost know when you start to say something, I know how you're going to end it. Um, pa Pastor JV that you guys have on here on Tuesdays, uh, same thing. I can repeat so many things he says. Uh, Paul did the same thing, like in uh, 2 Timothy 2.11. Uh, we're not going to read the whole verse, uh, but he just says, he starts it by saying, this is a faithful saying. Yeah. I, I tend to think whenever somebody, whenever Paul says, this is a faithful saying, it's something he repeated a lot. Uh, because Paul was traveling around and, you know, people in Ephesus hadn't necessarily heard what he said in Thessalonica, already heard in Berea, already heard in, you know, wherever it was. So he would repeat the same thing. Jesus was no different. Uh, I happen to think a lot of these parables he told many times uh, because he had different audiences. Uh, some of those, there's a couple examples in here that you, we actually know he told them more than one time. But I think a lot of times he did that. He also used lots of references to the Old Testament. Uh, you know, what, what saith the scripture, as Paul says, uh, Jesus would quote the Old Testament or set, like in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you know, what, what does the scripture say? Or you have heard it said, or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, he also taught in lots of prophetic ways, uh, such as the Olivet Discourse. You know, that's given prophecy going on and telling you what's going to happen in the future. But then it starts, uh, the last couple examples, he used metaphors, and we'll get into more what they are. He used hyperboles, and he used parables. And so Jesus just, he, he, he brought the gamut of everything you could do to teach. He did it. The and if you, That's right, full spectrum. And if you want to be a good teacher, boy, you ought to study how Jesus taught. And so we are going to talk about what is a parable. Uh, there are lots of definitions of a parable out there. Um, some, some of them are, are, are kind of, I don't know, they're, they're kind of long. Some of them are short. Um, some of them are kind of rhymy, so you can remember them. Um, I actually started to look up. Uh, there are scholars out there. Some scholars have defined up to 250 figures of speech. Uh, that is pretty amazing. Uh, that, yeah. there, that there are that many. Um, I, I don't know this. I didn't live in ancient Greek, but I just have a feeling that they probably didn't have that many <laughs> that they defined yeah. it as. And so uh, a parable, that comes from the Greek word parabole, uh, which maybe I'm pronouncing that right. Maybe I'm not. Uh, it's actually a compound word. Uh, para means alongside and bole or bowl means to throw. And so a parable is means literally to throw alongside yeah. what it carried the meaning of back in the ancient Greek days. And really still today, it carries the meaning of a comparison. So a parable at its root is just a comparison. Uh, Strong's, it defines a, par a parable as a similitude, a fictitious narrative or an adage. Uh, Vines says a parable signifies a placing of one thing beside another with a view to comparison. Yeah. And so both of those lexicons, dictionaries, concordances, both of them carry this idea of, of, of comparative or a comparison. Sometimes uh, this word parable is translated proverb. It's translated that in Luke 430. 
Some it's also translated symbolic in Hebrews 9 9 and figurative in Hebrews eleven nineteen. Now there that word's not translated parable, but it still carries this meaning of a uh, comparison. Just noticed how dark I was in the camera, Dick. So I'm going to turn the light on so you can actually see me. Yeah, you were better looking before you turned the oh, light. On. All right, I'll, I'll remember that. I'll remember right. that for next time. Yeah, we're informal here. I hope you know that. Yeah. Oh yeah, I listen every week to this podcast, and so I hope everybody else does too. Yeah, uh, the first. The first verse we're going to look up is Mark 4.30. Uh, so one really useful thing is looking up verses in a concordance, a lexicon, dictionary. That's really, really helpful, and I do it all the time. But if possible, it's always best to let the Bible interpret words for itself. Amen. And you can use the context clues and things like that to really discover what the word means. So in Mark 4.30, it says... Then he, that's Jesus, said, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God, or with what picture shall we picture it? So what a parable does is it actually creates a picture in the mind of a hearer, of the hearer. And so if it's a comparison, this picture is creating that comparison that is used for teaching. Now, from studying all these parables, uh, starting with the ones where it defines it as a parable, uh, we discover that all of them are, are hypothetical situations, as in it's not reality, but it definitely could occur in reality. And so these pictures of this hypothetical situation uh, carries this, whatever this thought is that the teacher wants to get in the mind of the hearer. So I think, uh, and this is my definition, I think the best definition of a parable is a comparison of a hypothetical situation to reality, emphasizing one similarity to enhance a teaching. Now, I'm not dogmatic about that. Uh, there's other good definitions of a parable. I think I'm going to use that one. But, but I, I, after studying it, I, I think that one's good. And if someone wants to change some of the wording around, uh, that's fine. Um, and whoops, I misstated. I just reading my notes here. There's only I defined 53 parables with that uh, definition. Uh, and so as we get into more a parable, uh, it, it, it's kind of funny because what we're going to talk about next is what is not a parable. Uh, oftentimes, when you talk about what something is, people will generally agree with you and they'll, you know, because they can fill in the gaps of whatever you're saying. Once you start defining what something is not, that's when people tend to start disagreeing and not liking what you're saying. Uh, the big example is the gospel. Um, you know, Dick, you and I could say, you know, saved by grace through faith, saved by grace through faith, you know, Jesus saves you. We could say those things. But as soon as we start saying, and people would agree with us, as soon as we start saying the gospel is not repentance of sin, uh, the gospel is not a commitment to Jesus. A gospel is not a surrender. As soon as we would start saying those things, that's when people would start going, hey, you know, and, and coming up with things. So parable is actually kind of the same way I discovered. Um, there is not a clear definition of what is not a parable. If you start looking at all the, the research and the papers that people have done. Um, I read one, actually, when we were 
going over this study and I was writing this, uh, Pastor, you gave me a book on parables. And I remember I read the introduction when he was defining a parable. And I remember I called you and told you that the author essentially quoted scholar after scholar about what a parable was. And some of them even contradicted each other. And he never said, said this is a parable. And so that's kind of what we have to deal with, because with these other figures of speech, well, there are parables and there are not parables. And it can make a difference in how you interpret a passage uh, to whether something's a parable or not. Uh, was it, uh, boy, Pastor, when you were going through uh, Hagar and Sarah, was it last week, maybe the week before in Galatians? And Curtis, you said something to the effect of if the Bible wants something to be an allegory, it'll tell you an allegory. Yes. And so defining parts of speech, it makes a difference in how we interpret things. Dick, I, right. I, I know you might have something to say on that, Dick. Uh, no, I'm, listen, oh, listen, okay. I always tell my son that you, young man, are smarter than I am, and I'm not wrong, so don't argue with me. Um, but uh, yes, I'm, I'm in agreement with what you're saying. I'm, and, and, I'm, and I'm sitting here uh, um, with open ears and, and an open mind, um, small as it is. But you keep it up, bud. <laughs> All right. So let's, uh, let's start, start talking about what a parable is not uh, after defining what a parable is. So we, we brought up the word metaphor earlier. Yeah. And so metaphor, that comes from a Greek word, too. It's the word metaphora. Again, I, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's a compound word, just like a parable. And meta means between. And phora is from a root word meaning to carry. And so metaphora literally means to carry over. And it came to mean a transfer. Now, what we said about parable was it's a comparison but in metaphora, it's a transfer. So a parable is to throw alongside, and a metaphor, a metaphora is to carry over. So if you want to think of it in terms of ships on a sea, uh, we have two ships. When we are using a parable, they're coming alongside each other. When you're using a metaphor, you're taking something from one ship and carrying it over to the other ship. So look what I just did. I sort of used a parable to describe what a parable is. How about that? Ooh, move, <laughs> yeah. Not bad. Yeah. <laughs> Not good either, but you know, we're we're working on it. So okay. <laughs> so when you take take things that carry over meaning to another, that means the metaphor will have different things that have the same meaning that say, you know how this is, well, this is the same, this other thing is the same. And so an example of a metaphor would be when Jesus compares himself to the door of a sheep pen or a shepherd in John 10. Yeah. Um, and and we're, we're not going to read it only because the what that metaphor is, is it's carrying over multiple things and qualities of what a sheep pen and shepherd are and saying, you know what a sheep pen and shepherd are. Jesus is the same thing. And that's what he says. He describes what a shepherd does. And he said, I am the good shepherd. And then he explains how he does the same thing. So that's a metaphor. However, that said, sometimes there's a very thin line between a parable and a metaphor. Uh, and I think this is because teachers, when we teach, we don't teach in strict figures of speech. We flow fluently. 
Uh, and we also don't necessarily tell our audience, okay, now this is a parable. Now I'm using a metaphor. Now I'm dictating. Now I'm, you know, we don't do that necessarily. So there are times where there's sort of a hybrid, I'm going to call it. Uh, in Matthew 7, 16, uh, we can actually go ahead and turn there. So in Matthew 7, 16, this is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And this is in the passage where uh, Jesus is describing the good tree bearing good fruit and the bad tree bearing bad fruit. Mm -hmm. And so in, uh, in the, let's see, in Matthew 7, 16, it says, you will know them, that's the false prophets, by yes. their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? See, in that first sentence, you will know them by their fruits. That makes it sound like a metaphor because mm -hmm. it's saying, here's a tree. It has fruit. Men are the same way. So it sounds like a metaphor. But then the second part, do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? See, now that's a hypothetical situation. Mm -hmm. So now it sounds more like a parable. Yeah. And so we kind of got this hybrid thing going. So, so what I did, just, just for the sake of writing a book, anything that was kind of like a hybrid between metaphor and uh, parable, I went ahead and included uh, because it does sound like a parable to me, even though in some of these, I think you might be able to argue for something different. Let's go on to another one. Another one's an, anal an, an, <laughs> an analogy, analogy, however you say that. Uh, Analogy is another Greek word. It's analogia. It's another compound word. Ana means upon or according to. And logia is from a root word meaning ratio. And so an analogia means proportion. Mm -hmm. An analogy transfers information or meaning from one thing to another. So the two things being compared, they aren't necessarily having uh, this point of similarity that we're trying to teach from, uh, it, it's transferring meaning from one real thing to another, you know, as this is like this, so this is like this, you know, that's a common analogy form. So that's not really a parable. Uh, another figure of speech is a hyperbole. Uh, this one's nice because the Greek word is hyperbole. <laughs> now, I doubt they pronounced it that way, but, but it's the same word. Uh, and it means, uh, it's another compound word, hyper, or maybe it's pronounced huper. I think I've heard it pronounced that way. It means beyond, and bole means to throw. And so it literally means a throwing beyond. And so that's, a hyperbole is not a parable because it's not taking these situations and comparing them. It's using this exaggeration or this throwing beyond. And so when Jesus says to uh, cut out your eye if it causes you to sin, that's hyperbole because Jesus is not saying to literally cut out your eye if it causes you to sin. Uh, my favorite example of that was one of the early church fathers named Origen. Uh, he thought that he, he was struggling with some sin and, and it, it was of a, uh, of a sexual nature. And so he thought, well, that's okay. I'll just remove the problem. So Origen castrated himself. Well, after he did that, he found out that didn't solve the problem. He still had sin that he was dealing with. And so Jesus isn't saying that your eye, if you cut out your eye, you won't sin anymore. It's a heart issue. Um, so he's using hyperbole to say, look, if this is causing you to sin, do something drastic to make it stop sinning. That's what he's saying. He's using hyperbole. 
So the, the last figure of speech we can go over is a simile. Now, the Greeks didn't have a word for simile, uh, but the definition of a simile, it's a comparison using two things, using like or as. Uh, I tend to think that actually a parable is generally the same thing as a parable because uh, Jesus will often say the kingdom of heaven is like, well, mm -hmm. that, that could be considered a simile. So, a simile, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and so biblically, especially for writing a book and going over the study, I did not differentiate between a parable and a simile. As far as biblically, I think they're the same thing. Mm -hmm. Now, so that separates it from other words and other figures of speech. But another aspect of a parable is I think it's in its purpose as a teaching tool. Uh, when you think, you know, we gave the example of Jesus comparing himself to a shepherd early. Um, that is, he is teaching doctrine, but Jesus is also being very declarative about this. Um, he is saying, I am the good shepherd, and he's declaring it. So he's teaching, but it's sort of a different than a parable, which is told to then give a lesson directly to the audience. So there's this little difference in how parables are used as this teaching tool. So all that said, I'll give the definition again, a comparison of a hypothetical situation to reality, emphasizing one similarity to enhance the teaching. Now, I'll say this, where am I getting this one similarity? Well, I'm getting it from how Jesus interprets parables and gives us the meaning, but more on that later. Uh, we won't do, you go through that quite yet. Uh, now, the last thing we'll do on this whole uh, what is a parable, what is not a parable, uh, I think, I may be wrong about this, but I, I think this is the case in Matthew 15. So we'll turn there and we'll read this a little bit. I think that Peter actually misinterprets what a parable is. Um, Dick, I, I loved your study on First Peter and you went through a lot of uh, Peter's gaffes. Yeah. Um, this one was a pretty minor one, but I, I think Peter made a mistake here because in, uh, let's see, Mark, or sorry, Matthew 15, 11, Jesus says, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jesus says a few more things and then drop down in verse 15. Then Peter yeah. answered and said to him, explain this parable to uh, us. Uh, uh, what is Jesus's next statement? In verse 16, he says, so Jesus said, are you still also still without understanding? There you go. Uh -huh. So Peter's got something wrong. Jesus says, do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. So this is not a parable. It's not this comparison. It's, it's not even comparing. It's saying that what goes into the mouth doesn't defile what come out of it does. That's not even a comparison. Mm -hmm. But I think where Peter missed this, Peter saw some figurative language here. Yes, and he I did. think he assumed it was a parable. It did not literally mean what Jesus meant. And I think that's where he got off a little bit. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, Jesus will use figurative language at different times, but he literally means it figuratively, if I can say it that way. <laughs> so, yes, it's, it's always literal. 
Now, we always take it that way. Literal, grammatical, historical. Right, Pastor Dick? That's correct. And Dispensational, it, too, if you want to add that. That's right. So when it uses figurative language, it literally uses figurative language. That's, there you go. <laughs> you got out of that one pretty good. Young yeah, well, I've okay. thought about it. I've, I've been caught on that one before, so I'm careful yeah, about okay. it. <laughs> uh, but I'll, st I'll, I'll state it one more time that I'm not dogmatic about this definition of parables. Um, I think they're pretty good. Uh, and I think it does make a difference when you come to these passages, knowing which ones are parables and which ones are not. Um, but ultimately, if we're understanding Jesus's teachings correctly, if your definition is a little bit different than mine, hey, at least we're cutting straight the word of God. You know, th this is not worth starting the, you know, the third locked up church of the Methobapterians on, you know, Main Street. That's, that's not an issue. That's not the issue that we should do this right. over. All righty. Well, we've talked about what is a parable. Uh, and Curtis, I think uh, you brought this up. Why parables? Yes. We could say, what is the purpose of parables? Uh, why did Jesus use them? Uh, well, first of all, just ad hoc or just, you know, they're a useful teaching tool. He was a great teacher, so he used good tools. But the Bible does give us the direct purpose of it. Matthew 13, that's where we're going to turn. So this is, these are the first parables we'll go over, but we will not get to them today. But in Matthew 13, um, it, he tells the parable of the sower. And then in chapter 13, verse 10, it says, and the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Oh, thank you, disciples. We're going to get exactly the reason. Uh, don't, don't you love it, Dick, when the Bible tells us, gives, asks the exact question we want to know? Yeah. My other yeah. favorite to this is Acts 16. What yeah. must I do what to I be do saved? To be saved. Uh, that's correct. Yeah. Boy, isn't it nice? You know, so when yeah. I, when I quote that verse, you know what I shouldn't do? Jump to Mark where it says, repent and believe the gospel. Oh. I should probably read the next verse. That's yeah. right. Now, the, the, it's not that Jesus is wrong in Mark chapter one. It's just there's context and there's sure. definition of terms that we shouldn't jump like that. So anyway, for chapter 13, verse 11, Jesus, he answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has not been given. So what Jesus does in this verse, he divides all of the human race. Well, really, the, the Jews specifically into two groups, those who, to whom it has not been given and those to whom it has been given. There you go. Verse 12, for whoever has, that would be the ones to whom it's been given, to him more will be given and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Now, that phrase is the same phrase used in the parables of the talents and the minas. And it means exactly what it says. If you already have something, you're going to be given more. But if you don't have anything, even what you think you have, it's going to be taken away. Uh, but as we get more into the parables and the talents and the minas, we'll explain even more what that means. But in, in this case, if you understand the parables, if, you, if you've been given understanding, you will be given more understanding. 
But if you haven't been giving understanding, you've rejected what Jesus said, you will, even what you have will be taken away from you. Uh, this is sort of, uh, this is sort of like Pharaoh in the Exodus story, but we'll, we'll get to there in a second. Verse 13, it says, therefore, I speak to them in parables. So that word, therefore, I love it. And so whenever you see the word, therefore, it's there for a reason. That's it. And so because the people who it's been given will need to have abundance and the people whom it's not given, they need to have things taken away. That's why Jesus speaks in parables. Because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and not understand and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Mm -hmm. Boy, what is going on here? So they will hear things, but they won't understand. They'll see things, uh, but they won't see them. What is going on? Well, Jesus, when he shows up, and we'll hopefully get this to the end, we might, I'm not sure if we're going to get there, but Jesus, when he shows up, he's the king and the Messiah, and he is doing everything that he needs to do to prove he's the king and the Messiah, Amen. yet the nation rejected him. Yeah, yeah. Hearing they did not understand, seeing they did not see. And what happened? Well, even what they thought they had, which was a nation, got taken away from them. 70 right. AD, the Romans came in and Israel wasn't a country again until 1948. That's so right. that's exactly what happened. Now, it's also happening in the mind. Because if you don't understand, you're not going to be given more understanding. And if you see things and don't want to see them, you won't be given more to see. And so that's how it's so that's how it's working. Now, what what is God saying here where he says, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears so that I should heal them? Well, what's going on? How could we say that, God, you are coming up and you are not giving an opportunity for these people to turn because you are forcing them not to turn and removing their free will? What's happening here? Well. To me, it's a lot like Pharaoh in the Exodus story. Depending on what part of the Exodus story you read, Pharaoh is the one rejecting Moses and the word of God, or it's God hardening his heart against mm -hmm. Moses and the word of God. Well, which one is it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's both. Uh, and, and so God is not taking away these people's free will. They had the power to believe in Jesus. In fact, one of the parables, the parables of the two sons, Jesus talks directly to the Pharisees, and he makes the point that you need to change your mind and believe in me. That's the exact point he makes. Yeah. And the Bible even says that the Pharisees understood that he was talking about them. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. what happened? They didn't want to. And they did. And in fact, that parable, which was supposed to be kind of the last warning they got, it says right after that parable that they devised plots to kill him. That's right. Yep. 
So they had every chance. God didn't remove any of their free will. But at the same time, God didn't allow them to turn. Why? Well, because if they did turn, then Jesus wouldn't have ever died for us. That's right. That's correct. The nation of Israel had to reject Jesus or we wouldn't have a Messiah. We wouldn't have a Savior. Mm -hmm. That's right. So it's both. It's amazing how God perfectly preserved their free will to believe, choose Jesus as their king. But he also kept his will intact to carry out his plan of Jesus dying for everyone. Yep. Amazing. So that is what's going on in this passage is that we have this amazing look at these, pe at, at these people who rejected God. They're rejecting God for a purpose, yet God at the same time is not allowing them to turn, but they still have the free will to turn if they wanted to. That's correct. Dick, I remember years ago, I said something like, well, what if this would have happened? And I remember you said to me, well, there is no what if with God. That's it. <laughs> and you're absolutely right. We as humans could look back and go, well, you know, if the Jews would have accepted him as savior, the kingdom would have started. From our perspective, that's true, but not from God's perspective. That's it. He already that's had it. it figured out. Yeah. Okay. So God used these, or sorry, well, God, yes, Jesus used these parables to both make them hear and see, but also make them not hear and not see. So God used it to reveal truth to them, but also conceal truth to them. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's amazing how parables did that. Now, as we kind of said in the parable of the two sons, that doesn't mean they were incapable of understanding anything. In fact, they were able to hear and understand what God gave them to hear. But he used it to conceal truth and also reveal it. Now, I think, uh, I'm not sure I have exactly this passage here, but part of the reason for that because god may have been protecting them because as you know more you have more responsibility that's correct so by being by not allowing them to understand god may have actually been merciful to them the i little, never thought of it that way but uh, that, that makes very much sense mm -hmm. well it, proverbs proverbs 23 7 i believe that's the correct references it, it it says it is the glory of god to, to, con conceal. to conceal a matter but it's the duty and honor of kings to search it out that's right if you're a king you, that's a pretty heavy responsibility so maybe he was protecting them from something he knew they couldn't handle yeah yep it's, it's, did, it's I, did i raise did i raise that young man right do you think <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you yeah. did all righty. So now we've got the second group, those to whom it has been given to know. And so in verse 16 of Matthew 13, it said, but blessed are your ears for they see and your ears for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Yeah. Uh, now I I did, the first person that pops in my mind when I read this verse is Daniel. Daniel wept about wanting to see what would happen to his nation and the sins they were committing and seeing it restored. 
Daniel definitely desired to see the Messiah come because yeah. he was in agony. Um, and so these to whom it has been given, they've been given this understanding. And boy, are they blessed for doing so. Well, how are they blessed? Well, first of all, they get to go to heaven. <laughs> any, Amen. any other blessing on that is just icing on the cake, yeah, so to say. Uh, now, what's also going on is, is they will have abundance. Uh, well, what's abundance? Well, I don't know. Uh, it could be lots of things. Abundance definitely isn't just money. <laughs> Although it could be that um, abundance is a lot of things. Uh, in my so I, I'm 34. Uh, Dick, you tell us your age all the time, so I'll tell you my age. Um, I've got two wonderful young boys, and when I think of abundance and blessing, I think about those boys. Yep, yeah, and you should. <laughs> <laughs> they're, yeah. they're good. They're, they're good they're boys. Good. <clears throat> and so those are those are the two groups of people um, for why. Jesus is telling parables. He's using it to reveal truth, to conceal truth, to give abundance, uh, and to and to bring this justice that's coming and bring in the Savior. Now, what's the other reason uh, he's he's telling parables? Well, it's to fulfill prophecy. That is an easy one. It says in verse fourteen of the same chapter, and in M, which the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. Oh. Well, what else happened? Well, in Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. Yep. Oops, I'm going to the other passage I have prepared. That's okay. I'll turn Where to that one that? too. That gives everybody a chance to flip in their Bibles if they're using them. All right. And it's Isaiah 6, 9 and 10. It says, and he said, so this is God telling Isaiah, or, uh, go and tell this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the hearts of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their heart and return and be healed. And so that's the quotation that he's using. Um, I will actually just read this one, not make a change to it. But in Psalm 78, verse 2, it says very clearly, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. Mm -hmm. So Jesus told parables to fulfill prophecy. And it's sometimes yeah. it's that simple. All righty. Now, uh, one more point about the usage of prof or parables and why parables. Uh, the gospel writers each had a point or a theological point uh, that they are trying to make when they write their book. Uh, Matthew's point uh, dealt with the king and the kingdom to the Jews. Yep. Um, mainly, you know, if, if Jesus is the king, why is there no kingdom? Um, Mark uh, was preaching to, uh, to the Greek, or no, was it, to, it was to the Roman, excuse me. That's right. And, uh, and, and I think, actually, I read this, that uh, Mark was displaying Jesus's power uh, over spiritual forces. Mark, in my opinion, is also the best uh, oratorio, oratory gospel, as in if you're just going to read it to people or tell people, Mark's the best one, uh, I think, because it just goes, you know, immediately this and then and immediately, you know, it keeps the story yeah. flowing the best. Luke was to the Greek, and, yeah. he, and he was telling his gospel of Jesus as a man. That's the emphasis in Luke. Correct. 
And then John, his gospel was, was for the purpose to, he wrote it to every man for the purpose that they might believe. So what happens with these parables is sometimes they get kind of goofy because they're not in the same order. And that can be a hiccup to some people. Now, one thing we need to remember, the gospel authors, they did not organize their material in chronological order. Now, we in the modern times, we think, well, if you're going to write history, you write it in chronological order. Well, these guys didn't think that way. Uh, they were making a point with their gospel, and that's the way they wrote it. So I'll give you some examples, because this one tripped me up for a while. So the parable of the sower, uh, we're not going to read it, but I'm going to give you the chronological order of each gospel. So in Matthew, he tells the, so the parable of the sower. He explains to the disciples why he speaks in parables. He gives the explanation of the sower. He tells the parable of the wheat and tares, and then he tells the parable of the mustard seed. Mm -hmm. But in Mark, he tells the, the parable of the sower. The disciples ask him about the parable when they're alone, which in Matthew's gospel, that doesn't happen until later. Then he tells them the purpose of parables. He gives the explanation of the sower. He tells them the parable of the lamp on the lampstand. He tells them the parable of the growing seed. Then he tells the parable of the mustard seed. Yeah. In Luke, Jesus tells the sower. His disciples ask him why. He gives the explanation of the sower. But then the parable of the mustard seed is not till a few chapters later. Mm -hmm. Well, what in the world's going on? I mean, sometimes this can cause people to doubt the accuracy and doubt the inerrancy of the Bible. Well, what's going on? Well, the, the gospel writers are making a theological point, not recording strict chronological order. Right. Uh, in Mark 4.33, it gives us this nice little editorial comment. Mark 4.33 says, and with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. Yeah. Oh, so what's going on? Well, Mark's giving us a little inside of what chronologically absolutely ha happened. He was telling the parables, but then the meanings or the exp explanation he didn't give until they were alone. Yeah. So what's going on here is not, you know, the the gospel authors getting things wrong. What's going on is they're making a point theologically, not necessarily uh, recording them chronologically in the order they happened. So I make that point because don't don't let it don't let that trip you up. You know, parables are used to go along with the gospel author's point. Don't let the chronological order of when they occur in the Bible trip, trip you up. Yeah. So yeah. that's why I say that. All righty. I think this will be all we have time for. And then we'll have to save the history of what's going on till next week. But that's fun. As I love one thing I love, Pastor Dick, I love getting an, giving an overview of the Bible and what's going yeah. on to help you understand why things are happening when they happen. Because about, about the worst thing we can do is open our Bible up to Matthew, start reading and go, this doesn't make any sense. Well, you don't do that with any other novel. You start at the beginning. So that's what we should do with the Bible. But that's what we'll do next week. All righty. Oh. How should parables be explained? Well, there's a couple key rules here. First of all, all parables have a prompt. Now, what's a prompt? 
A prompt is just something that happened that was the reason Jesus told the parable. Yeah. Sometimes it, be, it can be a question in which the parable explains the answer the best. Uh, mm -hmm. It could be a situation that comes up. It could be a concept, say, in a discourse that then Jesus gives the parable to enhance that meaning. Mm -hmm. uh, it could be an answer to the question posed by a situation. It could yeah. be a number of things, but no matter what, no matter what it is, all parables have a prompt. Often that prompt will help us interpret the meaning of the parable. So very important. Next, all parables have an audience. Uh, if he, Jesus is going to use an audience or use a parable, it is relevant to how that parable should be understood. Uh, sometimes parables were taught to small groups. Sometimes they were taught to multitudes. Uh, and that can help us understand what the parable is. Um, as an aside to what the multitude is, uh, in general, if it's a multitude, the Pharisees are probably there. Um, I've heard guys say, you know, as, as Jesus is speaking, you can almost see him pointing a finger at the Pharisees. Um, so just in general, if a multitude's there, the Pharisees probably are. In every single case, the audience is Jewish. Yeah. Every single one. Now, that if it's a multitude, that doesn't mean there weren't Gentiles present. I mean, Romans were there in Jerusalem, so it's very possible there were some Romans there, but the audience is Jewish. That's right. And, and that is a big, big deal to a lot of the parables, especially the kingdom ones. Uh, we as Gentiles don't get to read a meaning of the kingdom into the gospel or into the parable. The meaning of the kingdom comes from the previous entire Old Testament of what the kingdom is. But we'll go more into that next week. Um, lastly, uh, parables, or, or not lastly, excuse me, parables have a provoked thought. Now, the reason I chose provoked thought over the term interpretation is because Jesus is telling a parable to get his audience to think a certain thing whether it's a, doc, a, a doctrine, think about a situation, think about what they should do, uh, whatever it is, he is using a parable to emphasize that teaching, to get them to think about it. And so we don't necessarily interpret parables because a lot of times when we say we're interpreting the parable, that leads to this idea of, well, we have to assign meaning to every detail and interpret everything we meant. Um, I didn't use that term just because I didn't want to make it, uh, it, it or, uh, confusing. And so this provoked thought, it is a single provoked thought. Often it's very short. Sometimes it's a little bit longer, uh, but it is usually short. And very often Jesus gives us the provoked thought of the parable. Uh, I don't remember what the number is, but out of the 53 parables I define, Jesus gives us the meaning and somewhere in, in around 40, 45 of them. And so there are actually very few parables where we have to actually assign meaning to it. Jesus mm -hmm. almost always does it for us. Yeah. And so if we're assigning meaning that Jesus doesn't, uh, shouldn't do that. <laughs> Right. All right. Lastly, and this is the most tricky part uh, about parables. Uh, all parables have details. And we have to be very, very careful about what the details mean. Uh, now, the reason I think people started 
kind of allegorically assigning details to parables and such is because Jesus assigns the details meaning in the parable of the sower and the wheat and tares, and most of the details he gives a meaning to. But those two parables, those are actually the exception, not the rule. The details in a parable must serve the provoked thought. And if the provoked thought is simple, then our interpretations of the details should also be simple. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes the details uh, have some kind of re- relation to the real world. There are multiple parables where it's Jesus says, you know, the kingdom of heaven likes, you know, a, a landowner going away, receiving a kingdom and coming back. Well, that's literally what's going to happen. Jesus is going to go away, receive a kingdom and come back. Uh, Notice I said he's away and then coming back as in he's not here right now. Um, But uh, and so those details can help us understand the parable. But those details, we don't interpret every single one of them in order to get this meaning of the parable. I'll give you an example. So in the parable of the compassionate Samaritan, sometimes people call it the good Samaritan. Uh, the Samaritan takes the guy who, the, the guy who got beat up, he takes him into the inn and gives the innkeeper two denarii for, uh, to take care of him. Now, if I was to go to that parable and say, well, the two denarii mean that they're the two kingdom of, kingdoms of Israel, when they're going, and those two denarii are, are being used to pay for the man, well, then the man must be the church, so the two kingdoms paid for the church, and then do you see how that really starts to get wacky? Yeah. If I do that, um, the meaning of the compassionate Samaritan can be simply said, be compassionate to your neighbor. That's, that's right. That's the whole meaning of it. It's a really, it's a long parable, but that's it. And yeah. so if I would take that detail, the two denarii, and start assigning all this meaning, I would go way outside the bounds of what Jesus intended with that parable. Right. Amen. So uh, something that I've always followed, and Dick, we've talked about it. We use this. Uh, we use the KISS method when we're talking about yep. parables. Yeah. Keep, keep it simple. Uh, Jesus, you know, Jesus, no, wait, no, no, get, let's get the last S. <laughs> keep it simple, stupid. Okay. <laughs> There's two S's there. Okay. Yep. Usually the parable has a very simple meaning. Uh, and so we should interpret it simply and the That's details cool. should be interpreted simply. Uh, if, if Jesus can explain the meaning of a parable or a sentence or two, and it takes me 10 or 15 pages to explain what I think the parable means, I'm probably off. Uh, and I should be careful about that. That's correct. Yeah. So, and that doesn't mean you can't, you know, really go into detail. It just means we're keeping it simple. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Curtis, that's my, that's my introduction. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what, that was one heck of an introduction, ladies, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, wasn't it? And, and by the way, we told you that he was brilliant, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, Listen, uh, for, for someone of his relative youth, and I can say that because I'm 60, yeah. uh, he certainly has uh, a keener insight than most his age. So, um, and, and that is a wonderful gift that he's got, and we, we can't help but share it with you, you know, because we enjoy it, yeah. and we know, we know that you will too. And, and Lucas, we look forward to having you on as a regular guest, my brother. Um, and I hope you're looking forward to it also. 
uh, I think by now our listeners already are. So, yeah. hey, it's a done deal, folks. Yeah. You made every, the team. Every Saturday night, Yeah, you know, well, we're, we're going to do this. It's easy to say now before we've even posted it, Curtis. So, you know, you can. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It is. <laughs> But you're are too we kind. Put, you're, are we are kind. we putting the, are we putting the cart before the horse? Maybe, but <laughs> but I I'm pretty confident. So listen, in all seriousness, now now let us know where where if people want your books, and by now they they ought to. Yeah. Uh, where can they purchase your books? You can get I, all my books are self published. Uh, you can get them at Amazon, uh, at Target, Barnes and Noble, uh, generally the major book publishers. Uh, the best way to find them is probably just to search my name, Lucas Doremus. Yeah. I mean, I could give you the titles of the books, but you'll probably forget them. Um, uh, the, the one on Ecclesiastes is called eat, drink, and be merry. Uh, the one on Job is called stand still and consider. I love that book. And and the one on parables is called a lamp and a lampstand. So I guess you can always replay the podcast. If you search my name, Lucas Doremus, D-O-R-E-M as U-S, and those titles, and they'll come up on Amazon. And they're 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 ten dollars a piece, available in print and ebook. So they are print on demand, basically. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, that's that's a relatively I I I have a book uh, that's also print on demand, has been on uh, that way for for many years now, since so 2012, I yeah. think. Uh, but uh, uh, listen. Lucas, we, we really are blessed by, by the fact that you've agreed to do this with us every week. And, uh, and we know that you're going to be a blessing to our, to our listener base. And, uh, boy, we, we sure are glad to have you aboard. So, listen, I want you to have a great night, my brother, and, and thank you for being with us. Uh-huh. You too. Thank you, Curtis. Well, thank you, Pastor Dick. This is the Christian Underground News Network uh, saying good night on, and God bless and keep you. Until uh, we see you again this coming Tuesday. Tuesday morning. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.